0: It's just great to see all of you here today and on this Mother's Day. And um, I would like to say a quick word about last weekend, though. It was a commitment weekend. I just want to share with you uh, how appreciative we are of so many of you who have made your commitments and gifts to the Go West campaign. For those of you that might not know what that is, um, the Lord has opened up an opportunity for us to launch a second campus out on the west side of Bella Vista right off the new bypass and we're excited about that getting moving here really soon. And and uh, But our church family came together, and made commitments and, and gave gifts and it's just fantastic. We're going to be announcing those totals next weekend at our celebration weekend. So you don't want to miss next weekend. It's going to be a great great time together. I know uh, many of you gave and a lot of you are still praying through it and some of you have even asked me out in the lobby about it today and you're planning to make a commitment. If that's something that you're still weighing through and praying through, we join you in that and uh, we know that God will lead you in the right right decision. But if you brought a commitment and want to give it today, you can drop it off in the metal receptacles. We'd be happy to collect those today and uh, add those to the totals that we announce next week. But I'll tell you, God's doing a great thing. We had a lot of participation. was just fantastic. And I can't wait to see this thing really get Moving. Now, also, it is Mother's Day, and, and I know some of you are here because you're here with your mom, but i tell you, did you enjoy the chocolate fountains out there? Some of you are like, there's chocolate fountains? I'll be right back. And so, um, but we had, you know, last year for Mother's Day, we didn't really get to celebrate it like we, we usually do because of COVID. We weren't meeting, we we're online. So when we were planning this, we're like, we definitely want to bring back the chocolate fountains, and, and we're glad. And it's for everybody. Some of you have asked me, is it just for moms? No, 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 no. I know our moms can throw down some chocolate, but it is for, it is for all of us, the whole church. You guys are all welcome. And did you get to play with the goats? Did, did you see the goats out there? Are we alive? Yes, yeah, so we're, okay. Uh, you some of you like, why are we having goats, okay? And, and, and hopefully, I'll just clear this up for you. What is the acronym for GOAT? It's G-O-A-T. And that's also the greatest of all time. And that's how we feel about our moms. We want you to know it's the greatest of all time. So you go out there, take your picture with the goats, let your kids play with the goats, pet them. Did you know, by the way, that two of those goats out there are fainting goats? Did you know that? They're fainting goats. Now, I haven't seen one faint yet. You know what a fainting goat is? You scare them and they just fall over. You know, that's what they do. Now, I'm gonna tell you something that I just learned, and this is rocking my world. I didn't know this. I just learned this, and I haven't researched it enough, but I'm gonna spend some more time um, figuring this out. But did you know that a fainting goat is specifically bred to be a fainting goat? Did you know that? They, They breed them to be this way. And do you know why they breed them to faint? It's because they'll take a fainting goat, and they'll mix them in with the sheep, and if a wolf attacks the flock... The, the sheep will run away and the goats freak out, they fall down and they get eaten and not the more valuable sheep. You don't know what this is doing to me. I didn't know that. Did you know that? Uh, I mean, I mean, I'm going to learn more about it, but they breed them to faint. So, can you imagine a baby goat waking up to life? Mama, what am I doing here? Your purpose <laughs> in this world is to get eaten by a wolf. And uh, the, fam- the Peach family who brought these four goats for us to play with and have today, they, they were telling me a little about this, and-, and they told me, and I don't think they'll mind me telling you, this, that sometimes when they're pulling out of the driveway, the goats will be out there, and they'll honk their horn, they fall over and they pass out. And I'm like, Are you kidding me? If I was coming home to goats in my front yard every day, I would live for this moment. I would wake up every day excited to leave the house knowing that if I hog my horn, all of them fall over. Anyway, um, man, there's a little little insight into my brain. All right. Well, happy Mother's Day. Did you, did you hear, though, uh, about the three sons who left home? Um, after they graduated from high school and all three of them they went far away and they did really well for themselves they they built good lives made lots of money but they didn't come home very much well on this particular mother's day the three sons they got together and they discussed what they got their mom for mother's day and the first son says well I, I want you guys to know that I bought mom a brand new house this big old house for her she deserves it And then the second brother, he said, well, I bought mom with a brand new Mercedes-Benz and not only that, I hired her a personal driver that will take her wherever she wants to go. And then the third son, he's like, man, I got you guys both beat. You remember when we were kids how much mom loved to read the Bible every day and now because of her age and her eyesight's not what it used to be, she can't read the Bible like she used to. So I sent her a remarkable parrot That learned the whole Bible. I had to pay $100,000 for this bird, but it took 12 years to train this parrot. It's a one of a kind parrot. And so now all mom has to do is she has to say chapter and verse anywhere in the Bible, and this parrot will recite it. It's a remarkable bird, one of a kind. Well, after Mother's Day, the the mother, she sent thank you letters to her sons, and to her first son, his name was uh, was, uh, Gerald, and she said, oh, Gerald, thank you so much for the house, but honestly, it is so large, and I live in just one little room of the house, but now I have the burden to clean the whole thing, but thank you. And then she sent the second thank you, to her, second thank you note to her other son, uh, Millard, and she said, Millard, thank you for the car, but honestly, at my age, I just don't have any desire to go anywhere. And the, the driver that you hired, well, he's pretty rude, if you want me to be honest. And then she sent a letter to her third son, she goes, oh, my dearest Henry, you have the good sense to know just what your mama likes. The chicken was wonderful. I'll tell you, happy Mother's Day, moms. Um, you know, I don't know if you think much about Mother's Day in these terms, but, you know, Mother's Day is one of those days that many moms look forward to all year. It's the day the family comes together and there's a lot of good things that are happening. But if, but you may not realize this, but sometimes Mother's Day is not that for everybody. You know, Mother's Day can dredge up a lot of emotions um, that other moms don't, don't feel, um, Mother's Day can be a painful experience. I, I, I have had many moms who have said to me, Joe, you're not gonna see me on Mother's Day. Why not? It's just too painful to be in church. And I think some of you understand what those mothers were, were talking about. You may enjoy this incredible relationship with your mother or your children, and so this day is a wonderful celebration, but what you may not realize is maybe a mom who's sitting maybe one row away from you, this is a reminder. Today it's just an in-your-face reminder of something that's broken, something that, that's, that's not what it should be, and sometimes these wounds can be very, very fresh. Uh, Mother's Day across the country, typically in churches, is a very well-attended Sunday. A lot of family get together for this. They attend church together, which is fantastic. But it's also filled on this very celebratory Sunday that we're having. It's also a reminder, and some moms, and I would imagine even here, are reminded of uh, regrets, um, maybe feelings of what could have been or what should have been. So I think I, I don't want to preach today's sermon. I, want to, I don't want us to, to walk away from this moment without at least acknowledging the complexity that also comes with this day. And I wanna share something with you. I didn't write it myself, but I very much am in agreement with it. And I think you would be too. It reflects how I feel. It reflects how we feel as a church on this Mother's Day. Let me share this with you. To those of you who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experience loss through miscarriage, failed adoption, or a child running away, we mourn with you. To to those who walk the hard path of infertility fraught with pokes, prods, and tears and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make it any harder than it is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we are here for you. To those who have lost their mothers, we grieve with you. To those who experience abuse at the hands of of your own mother, we acknowledge your painful experience. To those who live through driving tests and medical tests and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those of you who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way you long for it to just yet. To those who step-parent, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those of you who envision lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be, we grieve with you. To those of you who will have emptier nest in the upcoming year, we grieve and we rejoice with you. (laughs) To those who place children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold that child in your heart every day. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expecting and surprising, we anticipate with you. I'll tell you, this Mother's Day here at New Life, we, we walk with all of you moms. Mothering is not for the faint of heart, And we have some real warriors in our midst today, don't we? We absolutely do. And if you agree with that, why don't you give our moms here today just a big round of applause. Let them know how much we appreciate them. Absolutely. Now, being that it is such a special day for moms, really just a special day for women in general, I want us to spend our remaining time together focusing on the life story of a really quite amazing, remarkable woman in the Bible. Her name is Hannah, and her story is found in the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. Samuel, First Samuel. And while you're finding that, let me just give you a little bit of history, a little bit of context of what's happening in Hannah's life and, um, and, and really why her life story is recorded in the Bible. Hannah was married to a man named Elkanah. That was his name. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter 5 that Elkanah loved his wife very much. But even though there was love in their marriage, it certainly was not problem-free. There were a number of burdens that they were dealing with in their marriage. In fact, Hannah was carrying a very heavy burden that many women in our world today can still relate to very closely. For whatever reason, Hannah could not have children. And this was very troubling to her. We read about her anguish in scripture. She wanted children so badly, but it didn't matter how much her husband loved her, it didn't matter how much she wanted it, it didn't matter how intense that desire was for a child, she could not have children of her own. And to make matters worse, and if you know anything about you know, life in Bible times, uh, culturally speaking, if you were a woman and you could not bring a child into this world, there were some very social, there were social pressures on you that were very intense. In fact, we see this in Scripture of, of women who could not bear a child. They were really discriminated against They were talked bad about, you know, there was this sense that you're not a real woman if you could not have a child. And Hannah was feeling all of this very heavily. Now, to make matters even worse, Elkanah, because Hannah couldn't have a child of her own, he went ahead and he married a second wife and he started having lots of children with her. Now, you know what, I think it's perfectly fine for us to admit what we're seeing here. What a scumbag, all right, isn't that true? I mean, I I feel completely in my freedom to, to, so Elkanah just took another wife and we'll all have children with somebody else. Now, it doesn't make it right. Culturally speaking, we see this some in Bible times. And I want to be, some, be very clear about something here. Um, even though he took a second wife, nowhere in the Bible, not once, there's not one hint of it or anything where God ever said, I'm okay with that. You know, many scholars look at the book of 1 Samuel and where the Israelites were in their walk with God and and their relationship with their heavenly father. And they say, this is actually a fairly dark time in Israel's history. It was a rebellious time. And and so is it really all that surprising that you would have somebody taking multiple wives during a time when they're not really following God? We see this from time to time. Abraham did it, Jacob did it. But let me just be really clear. Not once did God ever say that he was okay with it. What is God's plan for marriage? How does God outline this in scriptures, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament? God's very clear from the very earliest days of the Bible that a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh and they are to be together till death do us part and they are to be faithful to each other for as long as they shall live. That's the Bible plan for marriage. And so this is actually not what God had prescribed for his people. So this is stepping outside of those bounds. And what we're gonna see here when we get to the text is that Elkanah stepping outside of God's original design and doing something that he felt was right actually is going to make his wife's life so much more difficult. Which is the case today too. When we step outside of God's plan, and we sin and we do, th- it tends to make the people around us' lives even more difficult. And that's what we're seeing here. So, if you would, uh, well, before we read it, let me tell you this second woman, her name is Panina. What a name. And she is a piece of work, let me tell you. The second wife, the Bible refers to her as a rival wife. And this lady, Panina, she started having children with Elkanah, and now all of a sudden, Every opportunity she gets, she pokes and she prods and she makes fun of Hannah and she provokes her to anger. And can you imagine, year after year, not only having to share your husband now with another woman, but this other woman does nothing but make your life miserable. This is Hannah's story. So if you got your Bibles open, First Samuel chapter one, have you found that? Let's look at verse six. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, that's this Penina lady, Her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and she would not eat. And her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you so downhearted? And we read this and go, Elkanah, how could you be so clueless? And then he asked her the question of the century. He says this, "Don't I mean more to you, Hannah, than 10 sons?" And Hannah's like, "No, you don't." Well, I added that part. I don't know what she said. <laughs> but I think that's what the typical response would be. "Don't isn't my love enough?" No. It's not. That's how Hannah's story starts. And doesn't doesn't your heart just break for Hannah a little bit? I mean, can't you just climb into her shoes and relate to what she's going through? I would imagine some of you in here can climb into her shoes very, very an intense level and you understand some of the emotions and the rawness of what's happening in her situation on many levels. She's, She's going through something significant. How would you be feeling if that were you? Do you think you'd be feeling maybe a little bit bitter? Do you think you'd be dealing with some anger stuff? Do you think you'd be dealing with some depression if you found yourself in Hannah's shoes? I I think so. If you look at verse 10, what does it say? In her deep anguish, some translations say, in bitterness of soul. In her deep anguish, here's what she did. Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Now, I I, I read this and I'm like, this is a woman who I perceive to be at the end of her rope. Where else does she have to turn? It seems like every year she grows more anguished, more bitter. Um, In in all likelihood, I think she's probably depressed and I think a lot of this was taking her down a path where she could have even lost her life, you know, because what does her husband observe? Why aren't you eating? Why are you so down? I mean, what is wrong with you? There is a physical reaction to everything she's going through. I think she's, I think she's depressed. I, th- I think there's, she's not taking care of herself. She'd go all these long periods without eating, and, and he's deeply concerned. But let me just say this. This is where Hannah's story takes a turn, and it does not end up like many of the tragic stories that we're so accustomed to hearing about nowadays. This is where it takes a turn. When others might have succumbed to her situation, she did the only thing that she had left. You know what that was? She turned to God. That's what she did. When she had nowhere else to go, she went to God. And when she was at the end of the rope with nowhere else to go, she made the absolute right choice. She turned to God. Now, did you see it? Look at verse 10 again. In her deep anguish, she prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And then in verse 11, and she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head now that whole no razor part, that just is, is a designation of saying, this person is dedicated to the Lord for lifetime service and, and that person will never cut their hair. And I'm just really grateful that's not a rule anymore. <laughs> just saying. But I digress. This is a moment in Hannah's life where I would say it's a turning point. She's absolutely devastated, and I hope you can feel that through the text. There's only one thing in the world that she wants, but it seems to be out of reach. And I wonder if you can relate to that. Has there ever been something you want so badly, but it it just, no matter how hard you want it or how badly, it just seems out of reach. That's her. She's at the end of her rope. But this is the turning point because at this moment, she makes two she takes two vital steps, and I hope you saw these two steps in scripture. And the first one is she took her bitterness to God, and the second step is she began to reorder her priorities. And I don't know if you saw that in the text. You might say, how, how is that? How did she reorder her priorities? Well, we see through her prayer that her desire to have a child stopped being all about her. That's what I see in the text. Hannah made a commitment when she prayed that she's gonna give this child back to God. God, if you'll give me a son, I will dedicate him to you. She no longer wanted a child just for herself. She really started to look in my interpretation beyond her own wants and her own desires and she began to envision a reality that if God would give me a child, that child would turn around and serve God all the days of his life. And so she's like, God, if you give me a son, I will give him right back to you. Really, she's having this moment that what appeared to be a very low moment turned out to be a really great moment. And I want to ask you today, church, that did you know that what might seem to be your absolute lowest moment in life could also be at the very same time your greatest moment? Did you know that? For Hannah, her lowest moment was her greatest moment. Do you know why? Why? Because it was in that moment when she prayed, she absolutely surrendered everything to God. Everything. Our greatest moment is when we also surrender everything that we are and everything that we are not over to God. What did she surrender exactly? Well, in her prayer... Before God, she surrendered her bitterness. Remember, she talked about the bitterness. There's this bitterness that she had. She's like, I'm giving this over to you. What else did she give over? I think she gave over this depression. I'm giving it to you. What else did she give over to God? I surrender the sorrow. What else did she surrender? She surrendered a situation that was completely out of her control. She couldn't change it. She couldn't uh, d- uh, direct her husband's affairs and what he was doing. It was absolutely out of her control. She wasn't in a position to change anything. So she took this situation that's absolutely out of her control. She says, God, I'm completely giving it over to you. What else did she do? She surrendered her marriage situation over to God. Um, the, she surrendered the fact that her marriage was not what it was supposed to be like. She surrendered the the fact that she's not a mother and she surrendered over to God as well. I think in many ways, what we're reading with Hannah's prayer is her releasing the heaviest burdens of her life. And it's like her saying, God, I can't do anything about this, but I'm just gonna I'm gonna give it to you and I'm gonna step back and be at peace with whatever you have for my life. And I ask you a question today. Have you surrendered everything you are and everything that you are not to God? Are you in a position in life where you're like, God, it's all got to be you? Have you followed her example and just prayed, God, I completely trust you with whatever you have for my life. Lord, there's things that I want, and you know what I want, and there's things that I think I need. You know what I need, Lord, so no matter what, I'm going to give it over to you and just let your will take over, let your will be done, and I'm going to be at peace with that. I do believe there is this transition that's happening in her. And I think it's a very important transition that every single person today who follows Christ also comes to. Lord, it's all yours. I surrender everything to you. Now, let's look what happens next. Look at verse 12. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli, Eli's the priest, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So if you can imagine what Eli is saying, he's seeing a woman who is desperate. She's praying with passion and she is speaking her prayers, but there's no audible sound coming out. She's just seeing the lips move. You guys understand? This is what he's seeing. And this is what Eli thought. Eli thought she was drunk. Why would he think that? There's a lot of reasons why he might think that. Could it be? And I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just thinking. Could it be that maybe, in Hannah's history of dealing with her problems, that was her answer? Let's be honest. She wouldn't be the first person on the planet to ever turn to that as a coping mechanism, would she? Maybe Eli knows a little bit more about her than what the text reveals, I don't know. But he sees Hannah come in and his conclusion to her state is, well, she might be drinking again. I don't know. And then he said to her, verse 14, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine And then Hannah snaps back, verse 15. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered, go in peace and may God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went away and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Verse 19, early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord and then went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and she gave birth to a son. She named him Sam. Samuel saying, because I ask the Lord for him. Now there's a lot happening in here, but what I want to point out is that there is something very freeing that happens when you surrender to God. It it happened to Hannah, and we actually see it in the text. Physically, something happened to her. What, What did we see? Two things, really. She was no longer what? Downcast. In other words, there was a, an observation that her whole disposition had changed. So she surrendered this to God. Like, it's out of my control, God, but I put it in your hands. And she was no longer down. And I would say the depression probably lifted. There was this sense of, I'm going to be okay. You know what? I, it's in God's hands now. And I don't know. I'm telling you, friends, if you've ever done that about anything, say, God, it's in your hands, and I'm releasing it, and I'll be at peace with your answer. There's a physical change that will come over you too. I'm gonna be okay. God knows. This is Hannah's experience. So there's there's a physical change. And then what else happened? She decided to eat. She totally didn't want to eat, which is, you know, a kind of an offshoot of depression, really. I don't want anything. I'm done. And now she's eating. So there's something physical going on to her. The question I have is, or maybe you have, if you've never read this, she became pregnant. She had a son. You imagine the joy that must have been. Did she follow through on her promise? Remember, she made a vow. This thing she wanted more than anything else on the planet, and she told God, I'd give them to you. Did she do it? Now look at verse 27. This is after Samuel was born. "I, I prayed for this child, and the Lord granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Um, Probably about the time he was weaned, she actually took him to the temple, and Samuel grew up at the temple. Didn't even grow up with his mom. And if you follow the the trajectory of Samuel's life, the whole book is about his influence. Samuel was a remarkable man of God, and absolutely everything she prayed for came true with Samuel's life. Now, I will tell you this, we we kind of, I summarized parts of chapter one. If this is one of those stories in the Bible that really connected with you, then let, let me just tell you, Go back on your own and read the entire first and second chapter of the book of 1 Samuel and fill in some of the things that we definitely, um, um, let me just say, there's plenty of meat on the bone of this story. We didn't cover it all. There's lots of application too, but there's three quick ones that I want to pull out for us today that I think are very applicable to us. And the first one is this. When I examine Hannah's story and what really means something to me very significant about her life and her choices is this, Hannah knew where to turn. That jumps out at me loud and clear from the text. She is a woman by all things we can determine is at the end of a rope. She had no children during a time when having a child proved that you were a real woman. She had a rival wife that would do nothing but make fun of her and she'd become bitter and depressed. She had to share this woman with her husband with this woman. She's at the end of a rope and what did she do? She turned to God. She surrendered everything. And friends, we all know these stories. There's lots and lots of people that find themselves at the end of their ropes. And unlike Hannah, they don't know where to turn. And for many people, when they don't know where to turn, what happens? They turn to anything. Have we seen it? Yes, we have. Have you lived it? And many of you would say yes. They may turn to some very negative influence. They may turn on themselves. They, they may put up walls all around them and say, just everybody stay away from me. I'm telling you, friends, the end of the rope is not a good place to be. But like I said, your, your, your lowest moment could actually turn out to be your greatest moment. And sometimes that moment is at the end of a rope where you make a decision, where am I going to turn from here? Hannah knew where to turn. says in Matthew chapter 11 verse 28, these are Jesus' words. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Are you at the end of your rope today? Because Jesus has this word for you. I think he's saying to you, he says, take my yoke Upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in and heart and, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hannah knew where to turn and let me tell you today why that will still work for you today. Turning to God. Why that still works today is because we have a God who loves us deeply. How deeply does God love us? He loves us so deeply that he actually stepped out of heaven and he walked among the earth. He walked among his creation. His name is Jesus. And during that time, he preached about God's love and God's desire for each person to turn to him and believe. But as he was sharing that message, there was a lot of people that rejected it. They didn't like him. They didn't want that. They ended up killing him by hanging him on a cross. And after he died, they placed him in a tomb. Three days later, he rose to life. And I'm here to tell you today, he is still alive today. And his desire today has not changed. That desire is still for everybody to turn to him in faith. That's what he wants. And I just wonder how many of you here today need to be reminded of that. Do you know where to turn? I'm telling you, turn to God like Hannah did. Surrender everything to him. That's what he wants. I'll say this as well, that the greatest blessing... And the greatest peace that your mother will ever, ever know is this. It's having the peace that comes from knowing that her children are walking with God and that they too will spend eternity with her in heaven. It's the greatest peace your mom will ever know in this, in, on earth. So Hannah, she knew where to turn, so she turned to God. And here's what else jumps out at me from our text. That even in her despair, Hannah never gave up. She might have had one hand hanging onto that rope, but she never let go. She never gave up. I think it would have been really easy for her to just throw in the towel, but she never did. She gave everything to God, believing wholeheartedly as she prayed that God would answer it in his own way. And as we pray to God, we should pray in faith. God may not answer it exactly for Hannah. He gave her a son. God may not answer your prayers that way, but I want you to know he hears and he will answer them in the way that is best for you and what is best for his will and his purposes. So never give up. And I wanna remind you of something today. Hebrews 13, five, these are God's word. It says, God said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, so say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I love that verse. Hannah knew where to turn, she never gave up. There's one third application that means something to me and I think it'll mean something to you. Hannah did not forget to give thanks. All of that happened, what she prayed for, and she turned around and gave thanks to God. Now look at 1 Samuel chapter two and then we're gonna be done. Then Hannah prayed and she said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high, my mouth boasts Over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. I'm gonna ask you all to stand up and let's read this last verse together. Let's be on our feet because I think we have to stand when we read this last verse. Here's what it says, verse 2. Let's read it together. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do you believe it today? Amen. Amen. I hope you do. I know you do. There is no rock like our God. Let me pray for you. Dear God, we just thank you for the, 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 the testimony of Hannah. Lord, I know we can relate to her. And, and the, the road she was walking has many applications, Lord. I thank you that she knew where to turn. She never gave up. And she thanked you for what you're doing. Lord, I pray for anybody in this room who they themselves right now find themselves at the end of the rope. And maybe, Lord, they came in here today and said, I don't know where to turn. But I know, Lord, through your word, you tell us that we can turn to you, that we can surrender it all. Those things that keep us up at night that we have absolutely no control over, that burden us greatly, we can turn that over to you. Our dreams, our hopes, our desires, we can turn them over to you, Lord. And I pray that we be a people that lay things in your hands and will be at peace with your answer. That, Lord, you know what's best for our lives Lord, that you have a master plan for each of us, God. Please don't ever let us forget that. Help us to be like Hannah. Turn to you in all situations, never giving up. And Lord, may we turn our praise to you for everything that we are and everything that we are not. We will praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.